This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we've got the MVP, Zeddy Ballgame, on the show this week. After a huge fourth quarter, the Whip Stakes come back and they go back to back in the PLL Championship Series. We'll also start our prospects preview as Trey LeClaire joins us right here on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans? How are we? What is going on? Happy Thursday. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com or flip it on over to the IG page OTCB Podcast. And have we got a beauty of a show for you this week? Zedzilla, whatever you want to call him, Zeddy Ballgame. The ZVP, the MVZ, just don't call him late for dinner. Zeddy Williams will join us here on the show this week at what was a fantastic end to the PLL Championship Series in Utah. Hats off to everybody involved in making the PLL Championship Series a roaring success. A huge viewership audience for that championship game. And the world of lacrosse was on one of its biggest stages ever. And the whips went back to back. They almost got hung up. Chaos almost had them. But it was the second half performance from guys like... Joe Nardella, Bernhardt, Rambo, but of course, Zed Williams. A massive performance. After being shut out in the first half, he goes off for six goals. And there was just no stopping him. They, the chaos just didn't have an answer. They had the answers in the first half. But they were unable to keep the questions the same in the second half which allowed the experience of the Whip Snakes to take over and win their second straight PLL title. So we'll talk to Zed in a little bit. PLL is now done. So the focus of the lacrosse world now shifts to September 17th in the National Lacrosse League draft. We will... Start talking to a few of the kids' names who could and will hear their names called. I'm going to start with Trey LeClaire. BC guy, just went back to Ohio State for his fifth year of school. So we'll talk to him about the decision, what college bubble is like, what he's been doing during the season, or the offseason as it were, with no lacrosse. And, you know, we'll ask him how he feels about the opportunity to go into the National Lacrosse League. Even though he'll probably have to sit out a year, but that's okay. I think he's going to be just fine. Wherever he gets drafted, every team is going to want him. He is a big, hard-shooting right-hander. And those are hot commodities. And I think Trey, 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 Trey 
will hear his name called fairly early on at the NLL draft. Remember, it is a virtual draft. So everybody's going to be doing it from home. So if you got a computer, you're going to be live with the rest of us. I've had a few people ask me about um, combines for the draft. I just don't see it happening. And I'm sure you can all understand why. Yes, it is a huge opportunity for many players. A one last chance to let all the GMs see what they can do. That's not going to be there for them this year. And having talked to a lot of GMs already this past week, and I'm going to be talking to some more next week, they're all having a very difficult time in scouting for this draft because it's not easy to find film on guys. So you're having to rely on word of mouth conversations with your scouts or other people that you know that have invested interest in these young men. You're having to rely on a lot of Zoom calls and Skype chats where you're having, you know, sort of one-on-one player interviews. And that's not always the easiest thing to do either. So a lot of these general managers are going to have to rely on their scouts and on their notes and on anything they can get their hands on. So without being able to watch, you know, Minto and Founders and Senior Lacrosse and all the junior lacrosse that's out there, these guys weren't able to watch any of that. So sort of game film on any guy is kind of like two years old. Maybe some guys have dropped off. Maybe guys have taken a step to the next level. And these GMs aren't able to see that progress. Now, sure, there's a lot of guys at the top end of the draft that are pretty much for sures. And you know those guys aren't going to let their games drop. And a lot of those top-end guys are primarily going to be guys going back to school this year, so they're not even going to be available this year. So when teams get to the late second round and third round, now they're starting to draft guys that they potentially hope might make their team this year. And those later round guys are usually guys that don't get as much attention from scouts. So now, for teams that need players right away, those mid-round picks and scouting those mid-round players becomes drastically important. So, again, we just got to kind of keep our eye on what signings are being made by general managers, um, the picks that are being traded. And as we get closer to the draft, just kind of keep an eye on who's out there, who's available, and what teams need. Case in point, the Saskatchewan Rough have two firsts in this year's draft. And also have two firsts in next year's draft. But they only had one in this year's draft. And the Ben McIntosh deal for Josh Courier brought them a second first round pick. Now, in a year where teams may be building for next year, Derek Keenan and the Rush basically having four firsts 
for the 21-22 season is a massive boost for that organization. So again, Keenan doing an incredible job planning for the future. But the other part of me thinks that obtaining that second first round pick in this year's draft, which is the seventh, they had the 12th, I believe. They had 12, they acquired seven from Philadelphia. Acquiring that seventh pick makes me think Derek Keenan has his eyes on a guy that he really, really wants that may not be there at 12. And if the top four or five picks kind of go the way, or at least the four top four or five players that we kind of feel are going to go, Teet, LeClaire, Bowering, Smith, Henrik, those are sort of the top five kind of penciled in some way, shape, or form in those top five. Then Saskatchewan really only has to hope Georgia doesn't take their guy. And I, I really, I could be way off. I've been way off before. But parts of me think that Derek Keenan has his eye on somebody that he doesn't think will be there at 12. So acquiring the seventh overall pick will allow him to get that player, hopefully. And then at 12, maybe he can take another player that's sort of on his list that might be available later on, but he's going to be able to get two guys right away. I think adding that second pick for the rush was a massive get for Derek Keenan. Calgary has the fifth pick. I think they're in a position where obviously like many other teams, they're just kind of waiting to see how chips may fall. But again, if we all can agree that Teat goes number one, Rochester is going to take, I don't know. They're going to take one of two guys, I think. I think it's either going to be Smith or Henrik that they take at two. I think they need more help on the defensive end. So that would lean me towards them taking Henrik because he is... Uh, a pro-level ready D guy right now. Vancouver's probably going with a Western guy. It wouldn't doubt me if San Diego also goes for a Western guy. So that means Ryan Smith could fall to Calgary. He could even fall to Georgia. And again, every GM is going to say the same thing. We're going to take the best player available and we're also going to weigh in whether we need a guy right now or we need a guy for next year. Like Those are going to be the two things that every GM says in every interview that you ask in any question. They're going to say, best guy available, and then we have to decide between now or next year. And there are some teams that will have the luxury of kind of being able to wait for next year on some of these guys. And that will be a very interesting thing to watch is which teams feel comfortable with where they are now and want to let things ride out. We kind of talked about this with Halifax a couple weeks ago. There are some teams that might be really happy with status quo right now and the guys that they draft will be more for next year. There might be the odd hole that needs to be filled on a couple of those upper echelon teams. But Toronto doesn't pick till 30th overall. And that is an organization that has been trading away their picks because they're kind of in win-now mode and are trying to boost up their back end and bring in some heavy veterans. I'm gonna again, this this draft is going to be wild. There are there is a ton of talent in this draft. 
And there are going to be some guys that make some waves in the National Lacrosse League in the future. Now, whether, is, whether it's going to be this year or next year, that's still up in the air. But one of those guys is Trey LeClaire. He goes to Ohio State. He's from White Rock. He's played for Delta, and he's played for the New West Sandbellers in the Junior Loop. And he's going to be an absolute stud. When I caught up with him, he had just gotten back on campus, spent the summer here back home, and he's looking forward to another year of school, another year as a Buckeye, but the lure of the NLL is right in front of him. Joining us from his campus, the Ohio State University, a top five projected pick. He's Trey LeClaire. How are you, buddy? Uh, good. How are you? Uh, I can't complain. Uh, how, how does it feel to be back on campus after what was a really wild summer? Um, yeah, it feels a little weird, a little bit shaky, obviously, coming back on campus. But things are starting to open up down here and starting to get back in the, you know, the school school routine and you know just get used to everything right now. What was it like traveling through the airports? Because that's not something a lot of people are doing right now. Was it a pretty eerie feeling? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I flew out of Vancouver yesterday, and I had two connections, actually, in Seattle and then Chicago. So, I mean, there's there's quite a bit of people in, in uh, SeaTac Airport, but other than yeah. that, everything was spaced out, so it wasn't that bad. That was crazy. So it was still pretty socially distant going through the airports and on the planes and stuff? Yeah, socially distanced on the on the plane. Everybody's masked up in the airport and on the plane. So, crazy. What's the what's the college bubble like? Uh, right now, I mean, everybody's kind of coming back to campus. You know, a lot of people are moving in right now, and for a lot of the Canadians on our team, we had to had to come back early to do our two week quarantine. So, right. we kind of had to come back this week to get our fourteen days in before school starts on the twenty fifth. When you guys were were given that extra year, that fifth year, and and you had to make the decision of go back to school or not, was it a tough decision to go back to OSU? Uh, for me, it wasn't. Uh, you know, talked to a lot of guys that have played college and played Division One in the past, and you know, I, I asked for what they thought, and they said it would be a no-brainer, and you have to go back. You know, play one more year of college across. You, know, you can't ask for much more than that. And then, you know, to just go back and then do my master's, my one-year program master's and get my master's degree, you know, is also a goal for me. So it's, I'm excited. What did you get in your master's in? Uh, sports management. And uh, nice. I just graduated in May with a uh, undergrad degree in sports. That's awesome. So, so you're going to be taking over the NLL in like 25 years? Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. All right. We'll, we'll put your name down as a future owner. Noted. Future owner. Um, a lot of people who have come through the OSU program and gone to, to the Buckeyes and played for that program talk about how great Coach Myers is. And I've met him a few times. And I know all the Western guys that have gone there and, and speak highly of him. Uh, what's your relationship like with him and how important has he been in your growth as a player and as a young man? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, from day one, he treats you like family. You know, you're one of his. And, you know, being a, you know, a guy from BC, you got to travel across the country and being a young 18-year-old kid, he, he understands. And, you know, he's gone through it with the BC pipeline they have for the last 12 years. So, you know, he understands that. And, you know, just to have him as a coach and just as a person off the field, too. 
you know, he, he takes care of you and he'll do anything for you. He's a real blue collar guy, you know, he supports you in any situation. You know, I'm thankful to call him my coach for one more year. He's a pretty funny guy away from the business side of it. He, he, he's, he allows himself to let loose a little bit, though, doesn't he? Oh, for sure, yeah. He definitely has the humorous side in the locker room before practice. He likes to put his music on, you know, a little couple dancing out, but, you know, he's, he's dialed in for practice, so he can switch back in an instant. I, I know he hasn't really talked about how big it is, but how big is the shrine to Logan Shuck out there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess you could say it's pretty big. Uh, <laughs> Logan is a... Uh, one of the many BC guys that, that has done really well out here. So, you know, he, he's treated differently, just differently when he's back on campus, but he's getting a little older now. So, Was he a big part of, of why you went there? Did he have a hand in getting you down to Ohio State? Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, in my, my first year of junior, he was, he was coaching for the Islanders. So, you know, he, he kind of mentored me, and, you know, he, he reached out to Coach Myers and, I was already previously committed verbally to Delaware, but he reached out. Coach Myers said, "Yeah, you got to take a, take a look at this kid." So, you know, I, I, he helped me kind of get my foot in the door there, and you know, I'm thankful for that and what he's done for me. And you know, just to start off my junior career with him as my coach, you know, he's helped me a lot. You know, developing my game. Do you lean on him when when you make some of these tougher decisions about going back to school and, and getting ready for the NLL? Do you still keep in contact with him? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, we stay in touch. So, you know, if I, if I have any questions, he's always open. So he's really going to reply in a couple of minutes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'll definitely hit him up with some questions. You know, if I was struggling to his squad, you know, just hit him up and ask him for his opinion, you know, what he would think to do. So, you know, he's a good guy for that. Before you got to Delta, and you're, you're from White Rock, for people that don't know where White Rock is, it's a little south of the proper Vancouver near the border. But you played for Simeon, right? Is that where your minor ball was? Yeah, that's correct. I played pretty much all my minor in Simeon. And, and, you know, when you look at, you know, Coquitlam and New West and, and these bigger hubs of Vancouver that are known for their strong junior A programs, that Semiamu minor system has produced some really talented kids. But you guys all seem to be like, real big body kids, especially like when you came into the league, I just remember how naturally big you were. What's in the water out there that makes Semi Amu such a good lacrosse play? I mean, I think a lot of the guys that play in Semi Amu are, are playing other sports in, in different um, you know parts of the year. So a lot of them are, a lot of them play hockey. I mean, I played pretty much hockey, baseball, and lacrosse while growing up in minor. And then I started focusing on, the cross, but you know, the cross sport, the hockey, like it goes hand in hand with, you know, building your physicality and you know your hand-eye coordination, just kind of building you up in the off season until you're ready for the summer. As your junior career went on, you got traded from Delta to New West. You finished as a Salmon Belly. That is a, a franchise, an organization, all the way through the seniors that has run incredibly well. What did you take away from being a member of that organization and, and what it's like to be part of a, a franchise that always has winning on the forefront? Oh, yeah, it was, it was definitely a uh, surprise for me, you know, walking in there. You know, it hit me right away how, how they run things there. You know, they're, they're top shop there. You know, just playing in Queens Park, too, just the historic arena and, you know, walking into the dressing room. It's from the down and up. From management to coaching staff, they run it like a professional team over there. So, 
couldn't be more thankful for them and you know to to play two years with them and we had two good years so couldn't ask for much more. Did you get a chance to watch uh, much of the PLL before you went back to school? Uh, yeah, yeah, I caught a couple of games, um, probably three or four. So, what did you what did you think of it? I mean, I thought it was you know a little bit different. I thought at the start, you know, Stickworth probably wasn't up to par. There's guys coming out, you know, getting three or four practices in mixed together. You know, a lot of new guys, new faces. So, but it picked up towards the end. The skill level of that league is. Is immaculate right now. So you had a couple opportunities to represent Team Canada both and the men's program. How special was it to wear the Maple Leafs? Oh, it's it's a it's huge honor. You know, whenever you throw in your your home country colors, you know, and go battle out there, you know, against the rest of the world. It was an honor for me to be selected for both the United team and the men's team. You know. <clears throat> Playing for the men's team, you know, a lot of those guys growing up, I was looking up to, you know, watching their highlight videos. So it's kind of a little bit shell shocked when I, you know, was practicing and playing with them. But, you know, I learned so much. When you get ready for, for the next stage of your career, which is going to be the National Lacrosse League, what excites you the most about the opportunity? I mean, yeah, just, you know, it's been a dream to always, you know, play professional in the professional ranks just you know, I think for a lot of young lacrosse players growing up in Canada, you know, you want to play NLL and you want to play indoor. So, you know, I'm just I'm I'm ready to make that, that switch into the the pro ranks and you know, I'm ready for whatever I gotta do, whatever I, what work I gotta put in. You know, it's just exciting. I'm excited that I'm eligible for the draft here in September and I'm excited to see where I land. What do you think your best asset is? for prospective GMs to, to draft Trey LeClaire this year? I mean, I think just, uh, you know, my, my physical ability. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty built guy right now, and I, I like to train hard in the off season, so I can keep up with, you know, the bigger guys out there. And I, I think just to stay at a high level of uh, intensity during all play, I think that's something I, I've worked to master in the last couple of years. So, you know, it's always a work and matter, but, uh, I think that's definitely something that I bring to school. Have you been contacted by many teams so far? We're, you know, we're just over a month away from the draft in September. How many teams have reached out to you? There's been a few teams, uh, you know, just some uh, on Zoom calls, some just texting, some just uh, calling on the phone. Right. What would it mean to be drafted to Vancouver? And yeah, it's the hometown team. I guess the family can come out and watch it play every weekend. So yeah, that would be very fun. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of open to go wherever right now. I don't really have much of a preference. So this has been a, a wild summer with with no lacrosse. Um, obviously, you've had to keep yourself in shape for, for school and getting ready for the draft. But what's been the hardest part for you to to stay focused, knowing that there just really wasn't any full lacrosse going on? I, I mean, I struggled, you know, coming back in March, you know, coming from being Notre Dame in our last game and flying home for four days or so. The first couple of weeks, I was kind of struggling into transition of, you know, staying inside and quarantining and just try to figure out what I was going to do for the next five months. It's probably the longest I've been home in the last four years. So, you know, it was a little bit tough at the start, but I got into a pretty good routine with, you know, just trying to get outside shoot every day and just try to get some homework out there. 
it's going to be a busy few weeks and, and months ahead for you, my friend. I wish you the best of luck at school, and I know your name's going to get called early on in the draft. It's an exciting stage. Appreciate your time, Trey. Uh, best of luck and stay safe. I yeah, appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. That's Trey LeClaire of the Ohio State University, a former Delta Junior Islander, a former Junior Sambelly. It was drafted second overall in the WLA draft by the Langley Thunder. And if the WLA ever gets back going next year, Trey will have a home in the LEC in the blue and white of the Thunder. But he's going to hear his name called fairly soon on September 17th at the National Lacrosse League draft. And, you know, I think I don't want to put words in his mouth or speak for Trey. Obviously, the lure of playing at home in Vancouver has to be massive. It has to be something that every lower mainland kid thinks about now that there is a pro team in Vancouver again and they're playing downtown inside Rogers. Like, that's got to be a big lure. But there's also part of me that thinks maybe there are a lot of BC guys that don't want to play for the Warriors organization, not because they don't think the Warriors are a good organization, but they want to get out of BC. They want to play somewhere else. So... Trey will be happy wherever he is drafted to, and they are going to be happy to have him. And I think he's going to have an incredible NLL career once he gets into the pros. I've read a couple, um, whether they be tweets or reviews, about you know his points kind of dipping down a little bit since his early days in Delta. Well, that's because he went to New West and all the attention became on him. And by this, his third and fourth year, people understood that Trey was the number one weapon. So he was going to get the best matchups. But he is still an incredible athlete, a fantastic lacrosse player, has unreal floor vision, and just an absolute cannon of a shot. I can't wait to see him in the National Lacrosse League. He is going to do big things. We've got about six weeks. What did I say the other day? We are 29 days away um, from the seven-day window where players have to announce their eligibility. So we're just over 30 days away from the draft. From now until then, we'll continue to talk with some of those names you will hear in the first round. Because these guys are going to be household names for years to come. A couple National Lacrosse League signings before we skip over to the PLL and some moves that happened over the past few days. The Bandits signing Frankie Brown to a two-year deal. That is a good securing on the defensive end. Uh, the New York Riptide traded and signed for Leo Sturos. They also locked up Nolan Clayton. So the Riptide have a bevy of goaltenders. And we talked about them acquiring Steve Orleman as a street free agent last weekend or last week. And they thought and they feel that he is going to be their future between the pipes. They need to figure out what they're going to do in that position. So... I think they have four goalies in camp right now or are rostered right now. They got Nolan Clayton, Stevie Orleman, uh, Bouquet, and Goa Abrams. So they've got four guys in camp, and they're going to need to whittle that down. 
But I think that is going to be a very heated battle in the Riptide camp and one that I think a lot of people will keep their eye on because there could be a lot of fallout to that with guys not making rosters. Uh, we know Cody Jamison is back. Uh, Calgary signed Zach Harawares to a one-year deal. Dylan Malt signs with the Wings. Roughnecks also grabbed Tyson Kirkness. Uh, he was a Langley guy, I believe, a couple years ago. Uh, so they locked him up. But then we get to a couple days ago, and the Bandits ship Brock Sorensen in a conditional second to the Philadelphia Wings. And in exchange, the Wings get Liam Patton, Justin Gutterdick, Gutterding, and a conditional third-round selection in 2022. Now, I kind of felt that with Sorensen living out west, the Bandits might try and ship him to the Seals. But it turns out that Paul Day wanted him that much more. And he got him, along with a second, and they send Liam Patton and Justin Guttering. Uh, Gutty has played a handful of games. Uh, an American guy that, that got his feet wet with the wings obviously had a fantastic PLL Championship Series uh, over the past 10 days or so. And there's a lot of promise to him. Liam Patton is a fantastic defender. He can run the floor. Uh, Buffalo gets a real nice addition with him. Uh, Gutterding is maybe the question mark of the whole deal, but I think if they can convince him to play, he can do a, a lot of damage. Uh, minor deals, Rock signed uh, third goalie Troy Holichuk and Jameson Dilks. Nighthawks re-signed Julian Garitano. Love that signing. Big fan of Jules. Uh, my travel buddy, Chris Wardle. One-year deal with the Mammoths, so uh, I'm glad to be having someone who is able to fly back and forth with me from Victoria to the 303. And then just today, uh, The Rock re-signed Damon Edwards to a one-year deal. That's good to lock up the hometown boy. Uh, the Warriors signed Mason Penn to a two-year deal. And then key free agent signing last year, Nick Billich, to a one-year deal. So teams are starting to, con- or not starting to, they're continuing to sign their free agents, their UFAs, their RFAs, they're just trying to fill up their roster now so that when we get to the draft, they kind of have a idea in place of where they can go, where they need to go, what they need, and what they don't need. A couple coaching staff updates as well before we move on. New England has signed their coaching staff to fresh contracts, Glenn Clark, Clem Durazio, and Daryl Gibson are all back this year in the den for New England. But Calgary also locked up their head coach in Kurt Miloski, and Mike Board said to me that is a massive news for this organization to have Mouse still behind that bench, and I mentioned it uh, on All Talk No Action a little while ago, what was going to be the biggest move that teams had to make, and I said... Calgary needed to lock up Mouse for the foreseeable future. You stuck with him through an 0-6 start. You got to stick with him through a championship season. You can't run away from him after the COVID stoppages. So he has a new deal. As does Bobby McMahon, who's back to run the D. Sorry, he's going to run the O. And running the D in replace of Rob Williams, who has taken a job back home but staying on as a scout is Roughneck's Eastern scout, Brian Beasel. And longtime lacrosse fans will remember Beezer from his days as a member of the Albany Attack. Um, a fantastic D guy, uh, a real personable fella, and again, has been a part of this organization for the past few years. 
And when I talked to Mike Board about this decision to bring in Brian, I said, it's probably going to be an, it's had to be an easy swap for a guy that's been in the organization and knows everybody. He said, absolutely. Beezer and Sato were in constant contact all year long. Uh, Beezer knows all the personnel. He cuts up films. He knows all the tendencies that they like to run. It should be an easy adjustment for coaching, staff, and players. It's basically a one-for-one flip. Sato's going to take some time away. He'll still do some scouting. Beezer's going to come in, run the D. It should be seamless. So real happy that Beezer's is going to get a shot to be behind a bench full-time. And I know Sato is going to enjoy some time away at his new job and where he got a fantastic opportunity. So uh, best of luck to Sato and obviously welcome back to the league behind the bench to Brian Beasel. Now, did you watch the championship series? And did you watch the final game? Heck, did you watch the semifinals? Fuel lacrosse was put on notice by the PLL. And it showed that with minor tweaks here and there, you can speed up the game without taking away the integrity of the game. You can still keep it fast-paced. You can still keep it intense and exciting. There's going to be hatred and bad blood and everything involved. And it was an absolute phenomenal last couple of days in the bubble. Early on, the Whip Snakes got out to a quick lead. I think they scored on their first two shots. They got them past Blaze, and the chaos looked rattled. But then they settled down, and Dane Smith and Josh Burns started to take over. And as they put themselves four goals clear going into halftime, you thought, oh my goodness, Andy Towers' boys are going to pull the upset off again. But these are the Whips. These are the defending champions. And you can never, ever, ever count a team with Matt Rambo, Joe Nardella, Zed Williams out. Because you're going to get the ball 90% of the time off of every draw. And when you get it to your offense, you're able to control the tempo of the game and get your feet back into it. And get the momentum back on your side. And that's slowly what the Whips were able to do. They were outscored 2-1 in the third as 6-3 going into the fourth quarter, the final 12 minutes. Well, that was the last you would hear from the Chaos offense. As the Whips would rattle off nine straight and win it 12-6. Zeddy Ballgame, Zedzilla, Zed Williams, whatever moniker you're going to give him. He was absolutely unconscious. And if you know the story of Zed Williams and you know his pride and his love and his passion for the game, it's not surprising to see him perform the way he did. But the fact that he was just doing it with such ease and freedom and at the same time loving every minute of it with a smile on his face, 
it's just so fun to watch. And then you hear about him holding on to the stick all through the post-game celebrations, even when he's in the back locker room FaceTiming with his family, still holding on to his lacrosse stick. His dad told him to always honor and cherish the spirit of his game through the stick. And I have said that as a lesson to all young athletes in the world of lacrosse. Your stick is the most vital part of the game. Respect it. Take care of it. Keep it with you as often as you can. When people say they sleep with their lacrosse stick nights before games, that's not just a joking thing to say. It happens. More often than not, probably. I used to put my sticks up beside my bed, tuck them in, make sure they are straight up and down, make sure all the runners and the side strings were perfect. Like, that is your connection to the game. You have to make sure that it is taken care of. And I'll never forget when I had a teammate of mine when I was in Anaheim kind of chastise me and say, dude, why are you carrying your stick all around? Be a professional. Act like it. Leave your stick in the locker room. I was like, what are you talking about? And I actually respected this guy a lot. And when he said that to me, I was like, really? I didn't get it. And then to see Zed Williams on the biggest stage of them all have that moment to be unselfish and say that the MVP trophy was a team trophy and he wanted to give it to Joey Nards and he wanted to give it to his goaltender. That is what a professional is. And holding his stick with him the other, the rest of the way, that's nothing to shake your head at or say he's not acting professional. The guy absolutely loves the game given to him and to us by the creator. It's a phenomenal story, and I implore you, if you haven't read some of the articles that have been written on Zed, either this past weekend or in the past, Google them. Just Zed Williams Lacrosse and look at some of the articles that are out there and read them because there are some phenomenal tales about this great young man. I'm thoroughly happy that he's now a member of the Colorado Mammoth. I cannot wait to meet him face-to-face in person, shake his hand, and thank him for treating the game the way he does. He's the MVP of the PLL Championship Series, a member of the Whip Snakes, Colorado Mammoth, and Iroquois Nationals. This is Zed Williams right here on OTCB. Williams shoots, scores! Zed Williams has six goals. The defending champs have a five-point lead. And he splits the double team again. So you're going to see him as he drives up here. Pat Resch is going to jump out on this pick. And he just gives a quick little roll dodge and is so strong that he's able to run through this stick check by Rowlett and get his hands free with a guy draped all over him. I mean, that is a remarkable feat. Joined now by Zed Williams, the MVP of the TLL Championship Series, a new member of the Colorado Mammoth, and an all-round amazing human being. Zed, how are you, my friend? Good. How are you doing? 
Uh, I'm awesome. It's a lovely day out here. Uh, I know that you traveled back from bubble life in Utah. How good was it for you to get home and see the family? Yeah, I was, I was super excited to get home. You know, I missed them. Uh, my, little, my little princess, uh, the longest I've ever been away from her, so I was super happy to get home to her. You were uh, doing some FaceTiming after the championship game, but how, how often were you in contact with them and your little girl over the break? Um, you know, a couple times a day. So they called me in the morning when they went to school and work, and then um, uh, I would find time after practice and stuff to call them uh, when uh, my wife picked her up from school. So it, it was good, you know. And, then, and, of course, you know, I said goodnight to them when they, when they went to bed. Did she understand, your little girl understand what daddy was doing, or was it a, a big change for her, too? Um, you know, I think she was good with her mom. Her mom had everything under control. Uh, yeah. I, think I, I could tell a couple of days in she missed me cause, uh, because she, she, I would call her and she would ignore me. She would add <laughs> me because I was home. Right. But, you know, she understood. But at the same time, uh, I seen a video of her, you know, when uh, she seen me on TV, she was super excited. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Uh, how was bubble life down there in Utah? What did you guys get up to when, when you weren't playing games? Did they have stuff for you guys to do? You know, uh, everything was lacrosse, you know, lacrosse related. Everyone was there for a purpose, and that was to win the championship. So we were busy all day, you know, from – from um, we had we started off in two days, and then when the game started rolling around, when we did have a day off, uh, we were training, we were, we were rehabbing uh, in the ice bath, hot tub, or in the workout, getting a workout in, and then you know lacrosse, lacrosse, watching lacrosse um, film, studying our next opponent. So we were constantly doing something, and you know by the time we got back to the hotel later on in the evening, we were all we were all tired, so we just relaxed. Were, were there guys you know playing video games and cards and stuff like that, or was everybody still yeah, into yeah. their rooms? Yeah, so everyone was playing cards usually at nighttime, and then there was a couple guys who had uh, some video games. I hopped on the video games, played Madden with Matt Rambo a couple times. And, uh, yeah, we just we just hung out on our, on our free time together. Who got the better of each other during uh, Madden, you or the chef? Um, I think there was 3-2 me, I believe. Ah, nice. So you got that over him. You got that over him. You won the MVP, yeah. <laughs> but you guys, are, uh, you guys are champions together. This was your first year. Um, in the PLL, obviously it was a different scenario with COVID and everything. But how did you like your first foray into Paul Rabel's Premier League cross? You know, it was an awesome experience. You know, and uh, I knew Paul and Mike Rabel as a brother. Um, I just knew of him. Uh, I built a relationship through through them and and had some awesome conversations with them. And they're awesome people. They come from the right place, and I was just happy to and honored to be a part of it this year. When you speak relationships, I go back and, and read that Dom Starja article, Coach Starja's article about his relationship with you. And, and he couldn't have been more proud of you seeing the success that you had, as I'm sure everybody did. But how important was that relationship with Coach at UVA to help you become the man you are today? You know, he, he definitely guided me. And uh, I went there for him and Coach Renardsville who was offensive coach, and uh, I knew they believed in me, and I knew they were going to take care of me when I went there, and they absolutely did. And just most importantly, um, you know, we're all competitors, and we're all over cross, and we want to win. But at the end of the day, you know, they, they seen the bigger purpose of, you know, having a Native American kid from our reservation go to the University of Virginia and realize how many doors that was going to open for not only me, but to pass on my knowledge and information and education I got to kids 
uh, that are on the reservation now in the school that I'm um, my alma mater high school and you know just all kids in, in all around the area. You went to Silver Creek. You, you're from the Seneca Nation Wolf Clan. Um, you know Chase Scanlon was was a teammate of yours at one point. But how important is it for you to be a role model, like you said, to to show those kids that a Native American can come from the reservation, go to a high profile college, get an education, play sports, and have a future. How important is that for you to show the next generation that there is a path? Oh, it's really important to me. That's that's you know now that's what I'm about. You know, the past of my knowledge and to show how show these kids how important education really is. Because you know when it comes to it, you know education is, is the key success to me, and it's so important to me from starting off at a young age. And you know I'm home every day, and um, my wife does an awesome job of reading my daughter since she was one. And you know she's talking away and she's real smart. And, and I, I I realize how important education is. You know especially coming after coming out of college let's focus on the championship game now and it was a tale of two halves for you and your teammates of the whip snakes you guys just didn't didn't have it offensively and and blaze was was just having all your guys numbers and he was making ridiculous saves but you're only down a yeah. pair you guys were still in that game what was the mood going into that locker room at halftime um, you know, we know we didn't play our best, especially on the offensive end. Um, our goalie, Kyle Bernard, has just been so awesome all tournament. You know, he's, he's the, if not the top goalie, one of the top goalies in the world. And he was keeping us in the game. And, um, you know, going into the third quarter, uh, Brad Smith had an awesome goal to get us within 6-3 and got the momentum going a little bit. And just... You know, I I thought our our um, demeanor was real calm going into the fourth quarter because we knew our face-off guy was going to get the ball, and we knew our goalie and defense were going to make stops, so we knew we were going to get possession. So so it was on us, you know, to finally capitalize uh, um, going into the fourth quarter, and we we just knew like it all it took was one goal, and you know, really that was an awesome goal by John Haas to get us going, and that really got us going started in the fourth quarter. Then you started going in the fourth quarter. Uh, you were unconscious, my friend. Uh, you, you didn't have the shooting accuracy in that first. And maybe, I think Ryan Boyle said it during the broadcast, there was a time where it looked like you guys were second-guessing your shots and Blaze was in your head. But once those goals started to fall, it kind of flipped. And you guys were in Blaze's head. What was the difference for you uh, going into that fourth quarter and, and just having your shots fall? You know, um, like I said, you know, I, I was making some good moves early on, but I was getting stuffed out by Blaze. And, you know, I had one in the crease, like I think in the third or second, a second, I believe, uh, on a man up, you know, on the crease. And I was kind of, I was kind of fake, and the guy got a piece of my stick, and I ended up shooting over the net. Mm. But, you know, I was, like I said, you know, we were thinking about where we were pinning on Blaze instead of just shooting our shots. And this is what we had to do. That's what I had to do. I just had to shoot my my shots, you know, just stop thinking about it and just letting it go. And then, you know, Joe Nadella made an awesome uh, face-off play, which he's the best in the world at. And he pinched the pop forward and set me up for an easy set down as soon as that one in that. I didn't think about that shot. I just did my normal underhand shot, um, you know, and, and it went in. So, like, after that goal, I, I, I felt it. And I, I felt the momentum going, and I just felt the energy, you know, and just – after that one, it was, it was finally our get rolling now, you know. The relationship between you and your stick is one that kind of everybody took notice, especially after. But in that moment when you are, when you're feeling it, you're in the zone, 
and you look down at your stick, is it glowing? Like, is it just, is it on fire? Because that's a, that's a shooter's yeah. tendency to just have a hot stick. Yeah. You know, like I'm just, I'm in my own world when it comes to playing the cross. Um, I, I always have been, you know, I and mean, I talk to myself, you know, I talk to my dad, I'm a strong believer in faith and my dad's still with me. And, you know, that's, that's what I do. And, you know, I believe he talks to me. He's telling me, you know, it's time to pick it up. It's time to get going now. It's time to do it. He was a very important part of your life, wasn't he? Yes, yes. You know, um, I, don't, I know everyone goes through death. So I don't wish death on anyone, you know. But, you know, um, my dad was definitely our leader in our family, and he was our hero. So it was, it was definitely a hard hit for our family. Do you have a, a favorite shooting drill that you do to, to just really practice your shots? Because you're not a, a true overhand guy. You really like that low to high underhand shot. Is there a drill that you do that, that young kids can maybe mimic? Um, uh, you know, I just, I just go out and um, I really just shoot around. You know, I love um, I love just, um, you know, I'll go out and I'll just take out a bucket of balls and I'll, I really try to work my stick get my stick on and just trying to try to get the accuracy down at first you know but you know as, as practices roll on and we do like actual like practice drills and in-game situations I'm constantly adjusting my stick to to you know to where to be and you know with fields across especially outdoors you know like uh, the weather really affects my stick so I'm constantly changing it I'm all, I'm constantly messing around with it um like whether it be shortening up the pocket a little bit or extending it or uh, loosening or tightening my top bridges a little bit. So I'm constantly messing with it. But, you know, like just, just getting out there and shooting it, shooting with the ball is definitely, definitely something I do. Are you a stick stringer or do you have someone do it for you? No, my stepson's shook my sticks. You know, he, he does an awesome job. But then um, I'll, I just, I'll put my shooters in and then I'll just tweak it here and there. When you were drafted by, by Georgia fourth overall back in 2017, how much did it help the progression to have guys like Lyle and Miles and Randy there to, to help you get adjusted to the pro game? Yeah, you know, they're awesome professionals. They're awesome guys out the floor. But, you know, I learned so much from them, playing playing with them, whether it be, you know, the way the way, um, the way way you have to work together. And uh, I just took so much stuff from all their games. You know, Randy is an awesome big man. He learned. He taught me how to how to pick at a high level of the professional cross and and these little moves that you can do to get some solid picks off on people because you know the defenders are so talented they got their heads on the swivel always so he taught me some awesome tricks. Lyle is an awesome player. Miles is awesome, so it was awesome to to, to play a couple of years with them. When you found out you were trained to Colorado, what was the first thought that went through your head? You know, I was with my family. I think it's Fourth of July, but you know, I was super excited. You know, um, I played in Colorado a couple of times, and um, they've—I had an awesome fan crowd. But just not that, they're just awesome players, and just from playing against them, they're an awesome team. Uh, I think I've been only three years, and they give us five goal or two every game. So, you know, I knew I was going to an awesome organization. And hopefully, you'll be on the other end of those one-goal games this time in the Mammoth, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, before I let you go, what was it like being in growing up on the reservation uh, for you? Because we've talked with Cody Jamison and Lyle, and and they all have different stories of what life was like. 
on the reservation as a young kid growing up playing lacrosse. What was it like for you? Yeah, like everyone comes from, you know, different households and different environments. But, you know, um, my parents kept us real close to my family, five brothers, two sisters. So uh, I was, we, were, we lived on like a dead end road with uh, my dad had a lot of land and uh, woods around us. So we were constantly outside. And, you know, I have a lot of siblings, so we're always together playing sports, running in the woods, uh, playhouses in the woods. We're constantly doing stuff outside. So, you know, uh, I'm very thankful for my childhood and and the way I was raised for my parents because I thought she did an awesome job. And, you know, I have nothing to complain about. Who was the lacrosse guy that, that you most wanted to be like when you grew up? You know, I have older brothers. I'm the second youngest, and I have always looked up to them. Yeah. Um, they're heck of a lacrosse player. They're heck of athletes. And I constantly was obsessed with, you know, being just like them. This is a fantastic chat, my friend. Uh, congratulations on the MVP. Congratulations on the championship. Uh, I look forward to catching up with you in Colorado whenever that is. Um, but be safe. Take care of the family, and we'll talk soon. Okay, my friend? Appreciate your time. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate having me. Take care. If there is somebody out there that doesn't like Zed Williams, could you please point them to the exit and get them out of here? I have no time for people like that. What an incredible, incredible ambassador for our sport. Humble, quiet demeanor, understands the sacrifices that he's making for his family but also realizes the importance of his role in and amongst his community, both on the reservations and off of it. I truly love listening to the stories that Zed tells about his relationship with his father, his daughter, growing up with five brothers and two sisters, It has helped him get to where he is. But also, the relationships that he has built throughout the lacrosse world. With people like Coach Dom Starja down in UVA. To Coach Eddie Como in Georgia. To all the players that he's come across with. Everyone will say the same thing about Zed. You ask him to do something, he won't question it. He'll just go and do it. And that's what makes him such an incredible player, an incredible athlete, and an incredible person to take our game through all the darkness, through all the hate, through all the anger, through all the bullshit, and get us to where we can really be at the peak of society. Huge, huge Zed Williams fan. And I hope you are too. That'll about do it for this week's show. We've talked a lot. We've continually going to get you ready for the draft, kept you updated on everything that's going on in the National Cross League. PLL is done. MLL is done. So the draft is what is next. September 17th, virtually, from four corners of the globe. Well, maybe just four corners of North America. We'll have it for you. YouTube, Facebook, BR Live. But for more information on the draft, who's going to be in it, stay tuned to the Lacrosse Flash. We are going to be pumping out 
a lot of draft content coming up soon. We're going to be breaking down some prospects. We'll have some interviews. We'll maybe have some cool gifts in our stories because we're a bunch of turkeys. But make sure you hit up the Lacrosse Flash. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. We will keep you up to date and covered as we get closer and closer to September 17th. Next week, we'll have another prospect on the show, plus someone else from the world of lacrosse. Who knows who it's going to be? Because as of right now, I don't. And that's the best part about it. Don't forget, you can follow the show on Instagram at OTCB Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Still a little bit of summer left, so make sure you can get out and enjoy the sunshine as best you can. Keep your stick in your hand and make sure it's sharp. Until we speak again, my name is Teddy Jenner. Stay safe and be excellent to each other. I-